Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and there's a non-denominational retreat weekend at the Resolution Center of Jacksonville, Florida. This will be a time of support and renewal for parents and grandparents on the journey of parental alienation. It's called Standing Strong in Resilience, Paving the Way for Good Health and a Great Future. This will take place on April 22nd through the 24th at the Resolution Center. I will have everything in the podcast notes. Right now, I would like to welcome Attorney Sean Kohlmeyer. He is a dad who hasn't seen his son in two and a half years because his ex-wife and her unethical lawyer used false allegations of abuse to railroad him out of their son's life. And he is an attorney. Now he teaches people how to file bar complaints against unethical lawyers. People are dying because family courts are causing violence. Parents are killing themselves on the court's house steps because they have been railroaded out of their children's lives. Parents are gunning each other down at custody exchanges. Children are committing suicide because a parent has been ripped out of their life. Their deaths are only the most extreme of the problem. The unseen aspect is the trauma created by unethical attorneys manipulating the family courts to force parents into a parental gladiatorial blood sport that makes the divorce attorneys rich, but destroys the families and children they are supposed to be helping. And I totally welcome you, Attorney Sean Kohlmeyer. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing all right. You know, every day above ground is a good day. And uh, it's another beautiful sunny day in Seattle. Well, it's not over here. <laughs> I was telling you earlier, we were having an ice storm. So I hope the power holds out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear that it's, it's, uh, it's a big one back east. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And I'm so glad to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, how did you get sucked into family court, the family law insanity? Um. Well, the short answer is, is that in um, 2016, my ex-wife and I, we were together for uh, just under 20 years. We broke up. Uh, she had developed uh, some pretty serious issues that she wasn't addressing. Um, and uh, we needed, you know, a break. And, and I was hopeful that she would um, address those issues. Some of those issues are leftover trauma that she suffered from childhood. Um, and uh, she just didn't. And uh, so we um, started uh, sharing custody of our, of our son at the time. And um, we were aimed at having a, uh, a soft landing divorce, you know, a, a, an amicable divorce. She made the mistake of uh, walking into a local Seattle law firm that advertises itself as a, a cooperative divorce firm. But in reality, uh, they're actually one of Seattle's most notorious uh, high conflict divorce firms. And uh, they're famous for taking uh, parents that um, need to transition their relationship to the next, uh, to the next model and instead of helping those families do that, instead turning the uh, case into a high conflict nightmare money maker for the firm that drains literally every penny out of the family, uh, destroys the um, parental relationships, destroys the um, 
the children's relationship, children wind up suicidal. Um, uh, I know of three parents currently that are victims of this firm where their children are suicidal. Um, and uh, the cases then uh, turn into these nightmares that just drag on for years. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, that's effectively what happened. My ex-wife and I, we negotiated an agreed final parenting plan that reflected the 50-50 agreement we were already living. And her attorney, who was acting as a conflict finder for the firm's big dog, who was probably the most unethical attorney currently practicing law in Washington State, she has a long history of bar complaints against her. Um, recently, a judge issued an order saying that she had made untrue statements of fact to the court and she engages in litigation to harass uh, the opposing party. So I'm stating, I'm making statements of fact now, not opinion. Um, she came in and she just created this nightmare in, in our, our family and um, escalated it all up. And through this process, I got to learn what happens when you wind up with an incompetent family law judge? What happens when uh, the systemic uh, corruption that exists inside of family law, corruption I call a corruption of collusion, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's set up to create conflict and by creating conflict it generates attorney's fees. Um, Currently, uh, when you add the money that my ex-wife has paid, uh, we're just a normal middle-class family that we're, we were worth about $700,000 going into this. You know, we both had, you know, good jobs. You know, I, you know, have an, I'm an attorney. So, you know, we had right in the middle of our life, we were worth about 700 grand. Her attorney has billed her $264,000 to accomplish nothing. Um, it's cost me to, um, over $200,000 out of pocket, $300,000 in additional debt generated, uh, $400,000 in lost attorney's fees and damages to my business. Our divorce is currently at about $1.1 million. It's literally cost more than everything we have. My ex-wife has given her unethical attorney um, all of her retirement, all of the equity in the home. She's barely hanging on to the home. And we're no closer today to having any resolutions than we were then. We have three cases in the Court of Appeals currently, one of which is going to make new, new law about uh, ab these new abusive litigation uh, laws that are starting to happen across the country where they're basically um, shutting down uh, people who stand up for their rights. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we still don't have a solution. So um, that's, that's, that's my sh very short story of how I got sucked up into this nightmare. And it seems like once you get sucked into it, you can't get out. People say, well, just walk away. There's no way you can walk away. Right. What, that's, what? A, that's an excellent point, right? People have said that to me many times before. Um, and, uh, you know, there's really, there's really uh, two or maybe three problems with the idea of just walk away. Um, number one is, is that you're abandoning your child to what you know to be uh, an emotionally and, and um, uh, uh, verbally and, uh, abusive situation. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Uh, my ex-wife, you know, has many wonderful qualities and I still care very deeply about her. She was a very good person. Mm -hmm. Um, but this process is crazy making and this process, you know, um, polarizes people. So, 
you know, whatever private issues that my, my ex was dealing with have not gotten better. They've only gotten worse. So, you know, walking away, I would literally be abandoning my son to what I know to be an emotionally unhealthy environment. And, you know, not the least of which is because, you know, family law has created that emotionally unhealthy environment. And the second problem with it is, is that when you get one of these unethical, high conflict, you know, bad apple attorneys, there really is no walking away um, because they can keep coming after you and they can keep dragging you through the process and they can keep making the storyline to be about you. So for instance, in my case, you know, they, they accuse me of being the abusive litigant. Now it is true that I, that I'm filing motions and I'm fighting like a cornered rat. Right. And yeah, I'm, I'm fighting hard, but the reason I'm fighting hard is because I haven't seen my son. Right. And because right. The, and because the court is not enforcing the um, the the orders equally because she's a woman. I mean, the court is literally treating her better because she's a woman. So, you know, but I'm the one that gets labeled as the abusive litigant, not the person who is denying me access to my child and not obeying the court's orders. Um, so, you know, they can just keep coming after you and and you know, one of the reasons why the lawyers are doing that is because it makes them money, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, they, the, the, the more judgments that they get, the more they can execute against those judgments and the more money they can get. So for instance, the firm that my ex-wife um, is at, um, I've done an enormous amount of research into this firm and I'm actually beginning a book to talk, um, to writing a book about this firm, both uh, opposing counsel and her law partner. And when you go and you do a search in the King County Superior Court about judgments they got, they've got judgments against people going back 15, 20 years that they're still collecting on. And that's really what it is that they're about. You know, they're creating a money-making machine by getting court orders that say, Joe has to pay X amount of dollars. And if Joe's not paying X amount of dollars, they'll just keep coming after them. I mean, I know they've done some of this stuff to you. Right. I mean, I mean, I watched I did a little bit of background research uh, about you, like every good trial lawyer would. Right. And, you know, you 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 lost, you know, you, you lost your nursing job. Right. Mm -hmm. So now you're unemployed and you're unemployed because of, you know, the false allegations that mm -hmm. they made against you. And then they impute your income as mm -hmm. if you could go out and magically in a land of magical thinking, make just as much money, at, you know, doing who knows what, you know, burger flipping or ditch digging as you did as a registered nurse. And that's what your child support is going to be set at. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's insane. And, and you literally cannot walk away. Walking away would really mean disappearing, um, you know, changing your name, moving to a country that, you know, uh, you know, that you could get by in that other country and literally just disappearing. Well, the problem with that, you can't even do that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you owe, if you owe a, a, a enough money in, in um, child support, you can't get a, you can't get a passport. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, walking away is, is, is uh, uh, just a, an illusion that one can do unless they're willing to let you walk away. And that's, and that's, what some of these, what some of the, the goals are, right? Particularly with these personality disordered people. And it's usually, I mean, it's, it's usually women, 
right? Um, mm -hmm. We can talk about that in a minute. But it's, so I'm going to say that. So you, with these personality disordered women, they they don't want to be they don't want to have to deal with their ex husband anymore, with the child, with the person that they made a child with. So often their goal actually is to create enough of a nightmare that you just say, you know, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And then I'll walk away and they'll let you because that's not what they want. And that's exactly what my ex-wife did. At one point, she literally offered to buy out my parenting rights. She sent me an email saying, if you surrender your parenting rights, and let me quote from it actually, step out and don't be a dad, surrender your parenting rights, and I will forgive the amount that you owe and not ask for any future support, which amounted to about $200,000. So she effectively, you know, she effectively tried to buy out my parenting rights, you know, as if I, you know, was going to do that. I mean, and I wrote a letter to her, to her attorney and his, and her boss. And, you know, I used language that lawyers don't, you know, typically use, which is I literally told him it will be a cold day in hell before I do that. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, you can't really walk away as you yeah, know. Right. And what you call that letter child trafficking, just sign sounds kind of a you know like it, it's it's a it's it's a I would say I wouldn't say it's child trafficking as much as I would say that it's um, a form of kidnapping and extortion. Mm -hmm. Right, you know, child trafficking at least the, the as I traditionally understand it is when you're you know taking a child and they're you know being put into a different situation for a financial gain you know in this case what really was going on is that my ex-wife was you know rightfully so um you know sick of the nightmare that you know we were living through and she wanted to have some sort of an end to it but what she didn't what she refuses to do is to take any responsibility for um, creating that nightmare and refuses to take any responsibility for the fact that it's her attorney who is driving it. And so, you know, I mean, you know, perhaps someday she'll listen to this, you know, and I hope she will, you know, and because I've been very clear, she could end the conflict, end it completely in about an hour. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all she'd have to do is, you know, find the way to communicate with me that she wanted to end it. We'd, you know, enter a few documents, right? And mm -hmm. it would be over and you know and i you know the conflict between her and me would be over now the conflict between me and her 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 attorney would be different because i'm gonna you know I, you know of course i'm you know hopefully my goal is to recover my damages from her you know both my damages and my ex-wife's damages from her because she's you know because she's done such egregious things but my ex-wife could end the conflict in in, in an hour and, you know, I would press a reset button and reset our relationship to a positive level because I recognize that it's really, it's, while it's, it's partially about my ex-wife's choices, a lot of my ex-wife's choices, you know, are A, the result of the manipulation of her unethical attorney, mm -hmm. or B, they happen inside of the, the context of the family court system, which is set up to, again, like I said, you know, it creates a gladiatorial blood sport where you know parents you know have to fight with each other and you know go after each other mm -hmm. well you know because i've been called litigious and vexatious <laughs> but i had to defend myself against the, the the child support as my kids were aging out 
because um, I, I did get screwed over for a custody trial. Um, that's another story. But my son kept saying, Mom, if you just act normal, then, you know, we can go back to the way things were. I'm thinking, no, I'll be going to prison every three months. I've got to stop this charade. Right. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, I call it I call it the dark crossroads. Um, you know what they do is they um, high conflict divorce forces one of the parent into uh, this place where they really only have a few choices. Um, they've got the choice of violence, either internal, right, aimed at yourself, suicide, external, aimed, you know, outside, you know, aimed at, you know, your ex spouse or their attorney, right. You've got the choice of, uh, you know, disappear, some version of disappear, right? So that you're no longer um, part of it. Um, victimhood, you can just acquiesce to just being, you know, a victim and letting them just, you know, beat you up mm -hmm. or your, your fourth choice. And this is the choice that we want people to make, which is, is to access the judicial system in order to um, uh, you know, defend themselves and to resolve this conflict through judicial system. I mean, that's, that's what we want people to do. We want people to be able to go into the courthouse and to be able to resolve the problem that exists between them through the process and procedures there. But when they do now, they turn around and they say, oh, well, no, you know, you're a vexatious litigant because you're defending yourself in mm -hmm in the courthouse. And so therefore we're going to take away your rights to access the courthouse. Well, now that what they've done is they've taken away the only legitimate response that someone has to this environment. And then, you know, what are you left with? You're left with be a victim, right? Disappear mm -hmm. or violence. Honestly, I, I, I look at the situation, I'm like, it's, it's a miracle that we don't have more violence. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. really. I mean, it, it, it's just, it's a miracle that we don't have more violence. Mm -hmm. and, and it really is a testament to parents' restraint and not wanting to, um, you know, impose the, the, the burden that that would cause on to their children by engaging in violence. But it's getting worse. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just getting worse. I mean, I can rattle off to you the names of, you know, half a dozen victims, you know, off the top of my head of, you know, literally parents who, you know, killing each other at, at custody exchanges, you know, in one case, uh, you know, a father, you know, shoots himself on the courthouse steps, you know, another case, you know, uh, a father tracks down a judge and shoots the judge as he gets out of his car, right? You know, a psychologist who kills herself and her children because, um, you know, she's lost a custody issue. And in all of these situations, a common denominator in them is, is the people have been, you know, extremely polarized by, the family court system and what fuels that is the unethical bad apple divorce attorneys that are just pouring gas constantly onto the fire instead of water which is what they're supposed to do mm -hmm. oh exactly i remember i was i was in court and because i had made multiple complaints on the opposing attorney <laughs> I had to. And he said in front of everyone, are you going to make another complaint about me today? And I said, well, let's see how you do today. <laughs> you know, uh, but, you, you know, know it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's great that you bring that up, you know, because I had that, that exact same situation happened to me last week, literally mm. last week. I was in a hearing 
that I've been that I've fought for for six months to get it on the, on the 28th. Opposing counsel shows up in the hearing and she makes false statements of fact to the court. She tells the court that a court order says something completely different than what the court order actually says. Literally, mm -hmm. she's like, she's bald-faced lying to the court. You know, three separate lies. Uh, you know, and I'm looking at them like, you know, literally in, in the hearing, I'm, you know, basically telling her, you know, what she's saying right now is not true. She needs to stop talking because she's literally not speaking the truth. So mm -hmm. I'm going to file another bar complaint against her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah, and, it's crazy. You have to. I encourage parents to do so, even against judges. And I really ticked off a judge, and I really don't care because he's dead now. And, um, you know, it, it is just so weird because, and I'll say it, at my son's 16th birthday party, I had him that weekend. And we were singing happy birthday. I wish I had this on video, right? He says, in the middle of the song, I hate my dad's big, fat, ugly attorney, and I'm so glad the judge is dead. And, and I'm like, you know, first of all, I don't have that on video and no kid should even know it's morally wrong for a parent to be discussing court with their kids. Yep. Well, but they do it. Yeah. Particularly, particularly with their young children. Right. I mean, by the time they get to be, you know, 16, 17 and 18, you know, they can probably take that information out themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah it's 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 morally wrong you're right to be discussing the details of that with with your young children right but what's what's really morally wrong is uh you know the the attorneys that are you know unnecessarily making the situation radically worse than it needs to be just to enrich themselves mm -hmm or they're in collusion with the judge or, you know, BFFs with the judge. Um, you know, they meet at right. clubs and, you know, I had a hairdresser and he said, I would see your judge and the, these attorneys talking, they're talking about cases. I don't know how anyone gets any justice out of these courthouses at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real and significant problem. I mean, um, the weird thing about family law is I think because there's so much discretion that's vested to, to judges that um, behaviors that in, in any other court system. So like, you know, I'm a personal injury attorney primarily, um, you know, those sorts of behaviors, if they were engaged in, you know, on the in the you know on the other side of the courthouse right mm -hmm. would be viewed as you know absolutely unethical and you know everyone would be shocked that they happen same thing in criminal law although mm -hmm. in criminal law it's a little bit more chummy as well but the standards are so much higher that um that the standards this the the higher standards um counteract the you know sort of chumminess that that can happen in criminal law as well, but I mean in family law it it's 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 shocking. So let me give you an example of that. Um, I eventually wound up suing my ex-wife and her attorney um, 
for various tort claims. And if you don't know what a tort is, a tort's the area of law of um, private wrongs. So negligence is a tort, um, uh, abuse of process is a tort, um, trespass to property, sexual harassment, those are all torts. So I sued my ex-wife for malicious prosecution because she um, filed false police reports against me to try and frame me uh, for violating the restraining order she lied to get, which caused me to stand, uh, to go through the criminal process twice for crimes that I didn't commit. Um, then she went out and she made defamatory statements about me, said that I was an abuser, said that I was mentally ill, called me a narcissistic sociopath, um, uh, sent flame emails to my colleagues, to, you know, my bankruptcy attorney, um, you know, filed, you know, numerous bar complaints against me, you know, with the bar association. So she, you know, out there actively defaming me. Meanwhile, her attorney has, um, you know, engaged in really abusive litigation tactics. She uses a writ of garnishment to um, steal $65,000 from me. Uh, using orders that have already been paid. So, I mean, I've got real tort claims against these people. Mm -hmm. So I sue them. Mm -hmm. I file a lawsuit against them, um, you know, saying, you know, sorry, when you false, when you file false police reports and get me criminally charged for stuff I didn't do, and it cost me $200,000, you know, I get to sue you for that. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the, the, that case was dismissed by another judge and that's one of the cases that I've got in the Court of Appeals that's going to make new law. Mm -hmm. But that judge, she dismisses the case. I find out literally a couple of days before I have to file my notice of appeal that the judge who's dismissed the tort case personally knows one of the defendants in the case. She, in 2013, Super Lawyers Magazine ran a, an article about her mother. The judge's mother is also an attorney. And the judge one of the defendants and her mother are all listed within one paragraph on the same page in this magazine article, right? So, you know, and then I find all of these other connections between them. So there's really no question about mm -hmm. whether or not my judge in the tort case knows, you know, some of the defendants and has relationships with them within three degrees of separation, which is not allowed by the judicial rules, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and she dismisses my lawsuit you know, like, okay, that's just okay. We're going to just going to dismiss your lawsuit because it's abusive litigation. And so now we're going to fight that through the court of appeals as well. So it's the, the collusion that you talk about is absolutely real. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I don't think, I don't think, although there is, there is the, here's a bag of money, please rule the way I want you to type of corruption. I, I don't think that's that prevalent what I think is far more prevalent is the people are able to speak in code to each other. And, you know, they're able to say, you know, this case is just like, you know, the case with that crazy woman, Marion Petrie, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, you know, it's exactly the same issue. And they're like, oh yeah, okay, uh-huh, right. So that everyone knows the way they're gonna rule, right? And then they mm -hmm. they're able to scratch each other's backs, you know, mm -hmm. you know, as well. Like, let me give you a more specific example. So I, I don't know in Pennsylvania if you have the family, family Law Commissioner Program, but out here in King County, uh, which is the largest county in, in Washington State, it's where Seattle is at, um, we have Family Law Commissioners. Now, these are, you know, they act like judges. Mm -hmm. you know, they're basically judges. They wear the black robe. You address them as your honor. 
you know, they write orders in family law cases. Well, there's nothing that prohibits them from also practicing law. So, so they, can, they can act as a judge one day and then turn around and practice law the next. That's crazy. You know? Yeah. And all you got to do is if you know, if you know their phone number, you literally, you can pick up the phone and you can call these people and you can have a conversation with them. Right. And there's no record of it. It's, you know, there's no email, there's no letter, there's no physical record, you know, of that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it happens a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty disgusting. It is. Um, I don't know what people are supposed to do because when your back is up against the wall, I've had some pretty dark um, days and nights when I was going through my thing. Like, I don't know what to do with this child support judge at all. She almost, it was like she had a vendetta, I think on everybody, but me too. <laughs> right. I, you know, I don't know that I necessarily, you know, have a really solid answer as to what you're supposed to do, you know, except for um, what I what I see happening, which I am encouraged by is, you know, the the whole sort of shared parenting movement you know, that's starting to, you know, move across the country, I, you know, you get out there, you know, you protest, you, you keep fighting, you, um, you know, testify, you know, in front of legislatures, you know, you, um, you know, you do what you can to expose the problem. And, and the thing about this that I find really kind of interesting or puzzling at the same time is, you know, this is a massive civil rights issue, just a massive <laughs> civil rights issue the idea that you know you you go into a courthouse which is supposed to be about administering justice and you come out of that courthouse with anything but justice you mm -hmm. know and you know the, the the split is roughly 80 80 20 right so 80 percent of um uh parenting plans favor mothers and 20 percent favor fathers um if if it, if we had equality in this country, we would in family courts we would see that that split would be somewhere roughly around fifty fifty, mm -hmm. but it's not right. <laughs> you know, and and you know, and it's not that fathers are you know always screwed over. It happens to mothers too, right? You know, they just mm -hmm. happen to be the minority in that. But if in any sort of other demographic, if you looked at it and you said, well, eighty percent of the people are getting you know getting mistreated we would go well that's evidence of you know your favorite ism racism sexism homophobism polka dot person ism doesn't really matter what is you know we would say that is evidence of you know a discriminatory practice and procedure and that that is the exact argument that was made before the supreme courts in brown versus the board of education right when we were when we were arguing and saying separate but equal is not separate but equal it's separate and unequal right we're we're making those exact same arguments that you look at the numbers of how they're split down and you know that it's unfair and it's unequal so you know i think that the answer to what you do about that is that you fight against that system and you you know rip you you rip the band-aid off and you you know say no there's a very serious problem happening inside of our family courts, which then leads you to the sort of the logical question of why is that and what do you do about it? Well, you know, I just think they should be abolished. 
We should get rid of them. We should get rid of CPS. We have to do something about these false allegations. People should not be uh, calling out a false allegation, calling someone mentally ill, or calling out parental alienation in a courtroom. I think if they make false allegations, they should go through criminal court and prove it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. Um, I think that one of the things that, so first of all, I think that if you start with a 50-50 presumption, um, you, you eliminate a lot of the incentivizing. Mm -hmm. And um, in, there are states, uh, surprisingly, um, most of them are in the South right now, that um, have passed 50-50 presumptions. And they see, um, they've just, just, just a few short years, they see dramatic decreases in high conflict divorces, um, in false allegations of domestic violence, in, in incidents of actual domestic violence. They see, mm -hmm. they see lowered rates of actual domestic violence. They see, um, it, you know, um, uh, uh, increased responsiveness, you know, uh, amongst the children who were involved, you know, just benefits to just cut all the way across the board, um, partially because everybody knows, you know, getting away from 50-50 is going to be very tough. Mm -hmm. And unless you've got really strong bulletproof evidence, you're not going to get away from 50-50. You're going to go through the family court system, and that's going to be the parenting plan that comes out of it. And, you know, there are just you know, these benefits that just, to the benefits of the legal system, not even talking about the benefits on the, on the social science side, but, you know, and to narrow in on one little bit of that. So the people on the opposite side of the shared parenting movement, the people who are, you know, often called the domestic violence um, industry and advocates, their argument often is, is that we can't do shared parenting because the uh, end result of that is going to be is that it's um, going to uh, create increased victimization in domestic violence. Well, the states that have passed that have found that that's actually not true. That you know, actual actual domestic violence rates have gone down, and probably partially because one of the issues that are probably driving people to fight with each other that then creates violence is you know about who is going to have access to to the children after divorce. And there's a, there's a Dutch study that was done about, I think about 10 years or so ago, that um, showed that even when you force people who don't want to work with each other, to work with each other and to share their children, that there are positive results all the way across, everywhere. There's a, a one year out, five years out, you know, because, because there's nothing to fight about, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> there really isn't anything to fight about. So, and then I think the second piece of your puzzle is that, um, you know, the rules of evidence are, they, they exist so that you can prove certain things happened. And while on one hand, we vested ju judges with a lot of discretion in family law, because we wanted them to be able to make um, decisions in the best interest of the children um, easily and cheaply, and um, to rely upon what they knew to be sort of the, the right uh, solution. The other side of that is, is that, you know, they, they bring in, you know, all sorts of uh, stuff that would never pass muster, you know, in evidence in any other courtroom. And, you know, and it's on this 
lowest standard of evidence possible, the preponderance of the evidence standard, which is thought of as 51%, right? Mm -hmm. So, and they're allowed to consider, you know, hearsay evidence. <laughs> they're, they're, they're allowed to just, you know, con you know, just say, oh, well, this person said this, you know, people lie their way through court. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and they're, and they're like, oh, we'll just consider that. And, and the lying is a huge problem. I mean, they call it mm -hmm. the liar's court for a reason. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you can even have the evidence that just clearly proves that the other person is lying and the judge will be just like, eh, whatever, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never, I've never seen, and I, and I make a point now of asking other family law attorneys that I speak with about this, this question. I said, um, neither me nor anybody, any other divorce attorney or attorney that I know of has ever seen anybody ever prosecuted for perjury. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Mm -mm. <laughs> you know, not at all. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it's, it's a ridiculous free for all, mm -hmm. right. Where there are no rules and, um, you know, everything that you think should be the rules, just, you know, oh yeah, we don't do that here. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? You don't do that here. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you go through the, you go through the evidentiary admission process and you're like, they don't do that here. I mean, I was in a hearing and I was objecting because, you know, the, the opposing party was, you know, um, testifying with hearsay. As a matter of fact, she was testifying with a hearsay within hearsay. She was saying, somebody told me that somebody else said this thing and i'm like that's hearsay it's hearsay within hearsay objection mm -hmm. the commissioner literally says to me oh we're allowed to consider hearsay in this in this in this hearing and i'm like yeah you might be allowed to hear it but i'm still allowed to make an objection about it mm -hmm. it, it's ridiculous <laughs> i mean it's absolutely ridiculous. And there's no judicial accountability when, nope. you know, they're, they're giving apparent visitation times and yep. the, the opposition party will take that child somewhere else. The lights are on, you go to pick up the kids, the lights are on, no one's home. Yep. So then your lawyer file, files an emergency petition because they're not cooperating. Yeah. So therefore they're in contempt, but the judge just gives them a slap on the wrist and just says, you know, whatever. Um, and it still continues. Yeah. We don't, you know, we don't have a civil enforcement arm in law enforcement like uh, some other countries do. So, you know, some other countries that sort of, you know, um, that sort of civil problem, you literally call the police and the police will send a civil enforcement officer to investigate the situation and to, you know, they've got some limited power to be able to help resolve the situation, but they'll actually, you know, if they're not, they'll actually issue a report, you know, mm -hmm. but we don't, you know, we just, you know, you call the cops here, you're like, you know, hey, I, you know, this is a court ordered, you know, visitation that I've got mm -hmm. and this person is ignoring it. And the cops are like, yeah, that's a civil problem. You got to go back through family court for that. I'm like, uh, there's no way to enforce it, even though, I mean, if we, you know, if you, we could enforce it because, mm -hmm. because interference with visitation is a crime, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, good luck getting, good luck getting a, a police department to write that report or getting a prosecutor's office to file those charges unless someone kidnaps the kid and disappears. Mm -hmm.
Now, the state police would always say, they, they would make a call to the DA on call who would say, oh, we can't get involved uh, because uh, they're already in court. They're already fighting in family court. So that was the excuse that the state police couldn't go where they should go and enforce. Yeah. And this should be happening. I, you know, um, you're standing there with the court order. I don't care if we're fighting in family court. This is the order. Right. Right. I mean, the, the incident in Texas where the man, um, the father was uh, shot and killed on the steps of um, his ex-wife's home by the boyfriend he mm -hmm. was i forget the i forget his name i think it might be kyle um uh it's pretty easy to find he and because there's video of it his, you know mm -hmm. his wife or girlfriend at the time was you know literally filming it um and so you see this poor man get shot in the chest mm -hmm. with a shotgun and uh just just before he gets killed you know he's literally there basically screaming and saying i've got a court order where is my son mm -hmm. you know and the the guy who you know kills him the murderer um you know who's now the stepfather of the kids right mm -hmm. is you know basically saying to him you know your court order doesn't mean squat here I'm like what mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. i mean you know it um a constitutional right doesn't mean anything Mm -mm. A court order doesn't mean anything if you can't get them enforced. Right. I mean, in my case, you know, we've got a parenting plan that's been in place since June of 2018. Never mind the fact that opposing counsel forged part of the court orders, that she forged a section of the findings of fact, that she forged keywords inside of the parenting plan, and she, you know, you know, kept all that information from from the judge, you know, just setting all that aside, the fact of the matter is there's a court order in place in my case from June of 2018 that says, Sean gets to see his son every other weekend. These are the parameters, right? You know, this is the content he gets to have. My ex-wife has completely ignored that. Mm. Since then, I haven't seen my son in two and a half years, and I and it's been an uphill battle to try and get anywhere, even to get the court to even just slightly pay attention to it. I mean, I just recently got, you know, a, a microscopic amount of progress on the issue, but you know, there's no guarantee that I'm ever that I'm going to see my son, you know, within the next year. And this there's is terrible. No enforcement. No enforcement. I just, uh, these judges have got to be held accountable. Their, their um, immunity must end because if they're not going to hold anyone accountable, you know, um, I recently heard of a judge saying, I don't follow the constitution. I don't have to follow the constitution. Yes, so really yeah. Oh, she said it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just, uh, I don't know. Um, I think they, uh, They've got to be overhauled, get rid of family court altogether. Well, I think, that, I, you know, I think an answer of, to that would be, and I know people aren't going to necessarily like hearing this, is, um, and this is part of what I, part of what I tried to do in, in suing my ex-wife, is, um, you know, to allow civil litigation to hold these people responsible. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so in the scenario you're delineating about the judges, you know, it, it, I don't know exactly how we would go about doing it, but it'd be great if you could, you know, file a civil claim against the state when a judge is, you know, not obeying the law. Um, 
I don't, not exactly sure how we would do that. But before you get even to that point, the ability to use tort law to protect yourself um, against these against these sorts of situations it is something that um, we should allow people to do. So you know, for instance, let me analyze your situation in that scenario. From what mm -hmm. I understand. From what I understand, your was it your ex-husband or his um, his significant other who filed the allegations that you were emotionally abusing your daughters, right? Uh, I they're telling me it was the psychologist. The psychologist who did that. Okay. Apparently, well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense because from what I understand is that they filed a series of of mm -hmm. of CPS complaints against you one right after another. Mm -hmm. Right. So that mm -hmm. wouldn't make a lot of sense. Okay. So in your scenario, I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could go ahead and get a hold of those records and you find out who it is that made those allegations against you and you could sue them for defamation? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I tried. Right? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great that you could, you know, bring some accountability to them, you know, in, in that scenario, you know, mm -hmm. you accused me of, you know, you know, uh, emotionally abusing my children, right? The, you know, CPS investigated and found it was unfounded. You know, here's your lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People might think people might think seriously about whether or not they're going to make false allegations against other people. Right, I agree. I I even tried to find out who exactly did. Um, I think I found out who did the second allegation or indication but um it's unclear about the first one however i did try to sue all of them including the ex in federal court that as you can probably find online <laughs> it went to the appellate court essentially the federal court judge just didn't read the exhibits which is the evidence he even admitted that he didn't read it so i had to file a motion for you to read the exhibits and do your damn job and so he did that in five minutes and then he ruled that he wanted to close a case so I had to take that to the appellate court and you wait months and months to find out they're just gonna close the case yeah and and um, you know it's 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 a game of we don't want to have this exposed and that's a, mm -hmm. that's a basically exactly the same thing they did with me i mean you know i'm a little bit different right because i'm an attorney and i understand you know torts in a way that most people don't and i was like you know what what these people are doing are clear tort actions you know and here's the law and you know you know screw it i, I mean i can't you know i mean i didn't want to sue my ex-wife i didn't want to sue my you know, her unethical attorney, I just wanted to move on with my life. But at some point, I'm like, you know, I got to get, you know, I got to get these crazy people to stop filing false police reports against me mm -hmm. and, to, you know, stop doing these things, you know, and if the court, if the family court isn't going to step in and do it, right, well, then, okay, you know, let's see how much they like, you know, you know, hearing this story played in front of a jury. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, and you know that was squashed under these new abusive litigation laws and uh you know it 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 seems to me that you know when you're looking for accountability when you're looking for justice you know part of what the family court is supposed to be doing is taking this very narrow view and saying we're going to help this family figure out what it 
what changes need to happen inside of its family system in the best interest of the children. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And if they did that, and they did that job effectively, you know, we wouldn't have a lot of these issues about accountability, right? About, you know, how do you, how do you hold these other people accountable? Because the family court would be saying, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to, you know, file, you know, complaints against Marianne saying that she's abusing her kid unless you've got hard evidence. And if you do that and the, the complaints come back as unfounded, right? There's mm -hmm. going to be consequences to you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if, if they did that, then we wouldn't have, you know, some of the, a lot of the chaos that we have. But, you know, they're not interested in doing that, partially mm -hmm. because it's a $60 billion a year industry and everybody is getting rich. Exactly. Even though I was exonerated, the judge should have just put us back to 50-50, which we had been for 10 years. I mean, come on. Right. But right. He, he continued this charade that I was mentally ill and emotionally abusive. It was just a nightmare. Right. You know, let's talk about, let's talk about the emotion, about, about the mentally ill thing for just a minute here. I, I, I'm really glad you brought that up because we see that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And, and it, is, it is sort of the silver bullet used against women. Um, it's also used against men as well. Um, but I think, it's, I think it is far more aimed at women than it is aimed at men. So let's just let's just explore that for a minute here, okay? <laughs> There's this idea that if you have a mental health issue, right? Again, in a land of magical thinking, that somehow you can't be an effective parent, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? You know, most of us, newsflash, everybody, most of us actually do have a mental health issue, mm -hmm. right? Going through life is difficult right we're all grappling with depression to one degree or another all of us have you know you know tr personality traits that you know can develop into you know a, a, a much more serious mental health issue at times all of our mental health fluctuates you know goes up and goes down right everybody on the planet has to deal with that right mm -hmm. the idea that even if you do have some sort of a mental health issue that suddenly you can't be a parent or that you're going to have to have your parenting controlled right because of that it's just it's it's fallacious on its face if it were true we would see just this massive epidemic of you know you know clearly crazy people out of control mm -hmm. <laughs> it's and, and what's and what's so wrong with a child growing up and seeing their parent as a human being? Mm -hmm. Right? What mm -hmm. is so what is so wrong with that? I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's not that every person who is dealing with a mental health issue is therefore necessarily violent towards their children. Mm -hmm. Right? What's wrong with the children growing up and getting to know their their parent? even if they do have a mental health issue and understanding them as a, as a human being. I believe that my ex-wife has an undiagnosed mental health issue. There is some support for the idea that she has, a, a, you know, an undiagnosed mental health issue. I think she should address that mental health issue. Do, mm -hmm. do I think that, 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 that means that she shouldn't be allowed to be, a, to be a, a, the mother to our child? No. 
that'd be preposterous, mm-hmm. right? It, 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 you know, it, you know, if she has a mental health issue and if she, you know, is, she should deal with it. It's just like, you know, if she were missing a leg, she'd need to deal with that too. Right. Right. It, it's, it, it, and it's really discriminatory. Mm-hmm. And if we could ever get a federal court to actually take a look at it, it probably violates some version of the ADA. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not to not to use too much of a pun when talking about a mental health issue and calling it nuts. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, all you have to do is say, you all, you know, I see a counselor, you know, as I had been seeing a counselor like for years, due to job stress working as a nurse in the ER, you know, you're seeing things you probably shouldn't see, you know, um, traumatic things. Also dealing with and trying to co-parent with someone who should see a counselor. <laughs> So, you know, you're seeing a counselor to help you deal with someone who needs to see a counselor, like a yeah. real one. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you see this across places. You know, my mother was my mother was a nurse. She was a geriatric nurse, and mm. uh, and she went back to nursing school when I was um, in junior high. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I I know some of those stories about you know what nurses deal with, and. You know, what nurses deal with is, you know, commensurate to what lots of other people in other jobs, you know, have to deal with as well, where their jobs are mentally demanding and taxing and take something out of them. And um, they, you know, they need to be, you know, um, treating their mental health as seriously as they treat their physical health. And the idea that if, and the people who do that, <laughs> that, um, that, that do exactly what we want them to do, treat their mental health seriously, they often just get re-victimized in family court. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because I'm networking and I'm building this, um, you know, I'm building my website on ethicalkarma.com. Uh, I'm, you know, connecting with lots of other people. And one of the, one of the people that I'm connecting with, he's a, uh, he's an army colonel and, and him and I have had, you know, long in-depth conversations about how this um, mental health issue and mental health being used against you in the family court system is particularly insidious for veterans. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so veterans come back from the wars and the veterans administration says to them, you know, you got PTSD, right? You know, we're going to help you take that seriously right? We're going to get you the help that you need. And then, you know, their marriages come apart and their, their PTSD <laughs> diagnosis is because they went and fought in our damn wars, mm-hmm. right? Are used against them to take their kids against them, mm-hmm. you know? And then we, and then we all stand around and wring our hands, you know, and act like we're all surprised when you, we have an epidemic of veterans that, you know, that are killing themselves mm-hmm. because they don't have access to their children. It, it, it's, it's preposterous to say that simply because somebody has a mental health issue that, we need to restrict their parenting about that. What's far better to do would be to say, well, what is their mental health issue? And does it actually pose a real danger to their child? And if it doesn't, then we need to, you know, respectfully shut the fuck up about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, because even though a parent may have, like I had a pristine psychological evaluation by an independent contractor, um, the ex still wouldn't get one. He would not get his psych eval. So the judge actually yelled at him. I was actually shocked. He actually got yelled at. But anyway, he still didn't get it. Then the judge had to order him again. So he had been seeing a CPS counselor for on and off for, I don't know, a couple, maybe a, a year. So this is the guy that did his psych eval. So of course it came out with rainbows, unicorns, and you know, it just came out wonderful when he should have went and paid the 400 and some dollars like I had to and get an independent contractor in to diagnose him. Yeah. I had a similar thing happen to me. I mean, the corrupt GAL in, in our case um, ordered me to go get a psychological evaluation, but didn't order my ex-wife to go get a psychological evaluation. So I go off, I get the psychological evaluation. The shrink comes back and says, effectively, Sean's extraordinarily honest. He may have ADHD, big surprise. Um, he's intelligent. He, uh, he's uh, flirtatious and can be a little bit inappropriate. Right? <laughs> I'm like, you know, really? You, you, you know, I needed to pay $5,000 for you to tell me that I, that I like to flirt and I've got an inappropriate sense of humor. All right. Oh, and then and then the shrink also says, oh, and by the way, his ex-wife, right? You know, she's got a clear functioning issue. And I mean, it's about as close as a shrink can get to saying, you know, the ex-wife needs to probably get a psychological evaluation mm -hmm. as well. Do you think that the GAL ordered her to go get one? No. Mm -hmm. No. Because, of course, they don't want to dig down into that, right? They don't want to be like, well, maybe there actually is you know, someone who has a mental health issue here, and maybe that person actually isn't Sean, you know, maybe the, that person is, you know, his ex-wife or soon to be ex-wife, right? No, they didn't, you know, they didn't want to dig down into that because that would have exposed, that would, that would have probably very quickly resolved the conflict, mm -hmm. taken it out of family court, right? We would have pivoted as a family to addressing whatever those issues were, right and stop the gladiatorial blood sport between my ex-wife and me right and these people would have stopped making money right uh. yeah it's 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 at each and every step along the way what you see is the unethical lawyers and many of the vulture professionals mm -hmm. doing and doing and saying things and laying the groundwork to create more conflict because by creating more conflict they create you know, they create hourly fee billing and by doing that then they're able to drain the family of you know all of its money mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. That's why I had to go pro se. It was a, enough's enough. <laughs> right. know, swiping the card, I can't do it anymore. Right. You know, and I, you know, I, I'll bet, Miriam. You know, and I don't know you very well yet, but I can tell you're, you know, a decent human being. I'll bet that your ex-husband was also a decent human being at one point, and that going through this process, you know, made whatever issues your ex-husband are, are dealing with, worse. And, and, and polarize the two of you in a way that was completely unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, plus me setting him up on a date with a woman that 
I didn't really, I don't know, like I always say on every interview, I don't know if she, if I, if I knew she worked in the courthouse or I did, but I set them up on a date and she came after me with an ax. An ax? Well, she, you know, see, the thing is she couldn't have kids of her own, so she stole mine. Oh. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the system didn't, the system rewarded that, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really did. Um, it, it got to the point where I won't keep you too much longer because <laughs> I could just talk your ear off. But she had said, I know a lot of people in the courthouse and I'm friends with all the judges. And she had said that on two occasions. And really, I, I didn't know what to do with that oh. until, you know, I... Um, I talked to the DA about it and he said, well, her boss, you know, did you tell her boss this? I said, no, I don't know what to do with it. He says, okay, write him a letter. His name is this and mail him a letter and tell him what she had said because she also threatened me with the state police. She said she knew all the state policemen in the barracks, <laughs> which was just right around the corner. So once I did that, I don't know what happened, but apparently she got in some type of trouble because when I had my sons that weekend, because now I'm a non-custodial parent paying him child support, but my middle son was crying that they could lose the house if she loses her job. Yeah. Similar things happen in my, in my, in my case, you know, where, you know, my son was saying things that, you know, could only have happened because he was hearing things that his mother was telling him. And in, in, in a couple of instances, I literally have recordings of my ex-wife saying things to, to our son that are completely inappropriate where mm -hmm. she's discussing what's going on in, in you know, the, the court case. And like my son was 10 at the time. It, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's preposterous. So, you know, but again, it's, you know, it's, it's fueled by these unethical attorneys, right? I mean, which mm -hmm. is part of the reason why, you know, I came out of this process and I was like, well, you know, how do you hold these unethical attorneys responsible? I mean, what, what is the answer to that? And, you know, I had to learn the hard way how to file an effective bar complaint against opposing counsel. And by effective, it doesn't mean that she gets disciplined, although I believe that counsel probably is going to get disciplined now that there's a court order that finds that she has made false statements to the court and that she engages in litigation to harass. But, you know, how do you file a, a bar complaint that the bar association will actually investigate and take seriously? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I you kind of knew how to do that because it's a fundamental of legal writing. But, you know, most most people who get forced into the pro se, you know, self-represented position, don't know how to do that. So that's why I wound up creating, you know, the website on ethicalkarma.com to teach people how do you research, you know, unethical opposing party, uh, opposing counsel, how do you figure out what their playbook is, mm -hmm. and how do you ultimately write a bar complaint that will cause the bar association to actually investigate them? Because, you know, I, I, I look at, you know, what these divorce lawyers do as a personal injury lawyer. I know that these things are unethical, mm -hmm. right? You know, like, I'll just ask you right now, your ex-husband's attorney, 
how many times are you aware of that they lied either in the in a hearing or in written documents numerous how many? times oh, all the time. i can't count all the time right. and i bet you there's i bet you that there are plenty of situations that you can actually prove that they lied mm -hmm. right because you've got a document you know you know the attorney said a b and c you've got a document that says x y and z and they have that document before they even showed up and said a b and c mm -hmm. right you mm -hmm. probably have those facts because almost everybody that i talk to involved in the, the the disaster of family court can can do that well you know that's unethical yeah. <laughs> here's the ethical rules they're right here all right <laughs> rules of professional conduct right that violates rpc 3.3 you know you know, counsel should not be doing that, right? And, you know, why do they do that? Why do they do that and just get away with it all the time? Because they know they're going to. Mm -hmm. you, know, if you did that in personal injury law. If, if, if when I'm representing somebody who got, you know, some cyclist who got run over by, by a car, and, and I lie, I make something up, all right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I know that it's a lie. Well, first of all, opposing counsel who probably works for an insurance company, all right, is going to jump all over that, right, and is going to, you know, be putting the fact that I lied up in front of, you know, our judge, and our judge is going to spank me, right? Then on mm -hmm. top of that, opposing counsel is going to put the word out to insurance defense attorneys, right, that I'm untrustworthy and that I will lie, that mm -hmm. I'm unethical and I will lie. All right. So, you know, every insurance company will know, will, will, and every insurance defense counsel will know that about me. And, you know, my practice will become infinitely harder and mm -hmm. it will become much more difficult for me to deliver positive results for my client. But in family law, they, they just get away with it like crazy. It's like the ethical rules say an attorney shall not lie except family law attorneys. Right. 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 So, you know, I mean, you know, and bar associations just, you know, they, they often just sweep this under the carpet. In, mm -hmm. in opposing counsel's case, she's got a 15-year history of people filing bar complaints against her, of, you know, repeatedly complaining to her boss about her behavior. Well, her boss's behavior is not much better, mm -hmm. right? But a 15-year history of doing this, and the bar association hasn't done anything about it right and they haven't done anything about it at least in part is because they haven't had bar complaints that are you know well written where you know the person is able to come forward and say well here's the ethical rule that they violated here's the piece of evidence that proves that they violated the ethical rule right hold them responsible mm -hmm. my argument is is that if we had you know if say over the next 10 years or so if you know, bar associations across the country were inundated by well-written, um, you know, bar complaints against unethical divorce attorneys that, and they had to increase their staffing in order to deal with those issues, that would have a noticeable effect on, you know, these, you know, bad apple attorneys that are driving a lot of these conflicts. Mm -hmm. I'll bet you that if you were able to research, you know, your opposing counsel that you would find at least a couple of bar complaints against him but mm -hmm. you know if you went off and just did the research and say so like like read 
the dockets of every case that he'd been involved in, you know, over the previous 10 years, you would find, you know, lots of documents where, you know, other opposing parties and other opposing attorneys, you know, had complained about his behavior. That's mm -hmm. my guess. Exactly. I don't know that, you know, I don't know, but that's my right. guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, he only gets a one star on his Yelp. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a complaint on there and I've heard other ver uh, verbal complaints and, um, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the dishonesty amongst, you know, unethical divorce attorneys is a massive problem. And it's, and it's just, it's not, it's not being looked at and it's not being addressed and, mm -hmm. and, it, and, it, and it should be. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you see, you, you see that, that, on, on and the wild thing about this too is, is that both on the domestic violence industry side and on the shared parenting side, um, that advocates on both sides often will say, you know, it's really the divorce attorneys that are driving all of these problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, and yet nothing happens. No, not at all. Um, yeah, I, I, it's just, it's got to stop. Um, even when you catch them in a, in, in a lie in the courtroom, you, you know, so-and-so, attorney so-and-so misspoke. <laughs> why, why can't I come out and say, attorney so-and-so blatantly lied to your face, your honor? <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what it should be, right? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, but you know, do they, they don't, it's, I, I, I you know, even I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, do you, I'm going to share a screen with you here. Okay. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to show you something which is going to uh, blow your mind. All right. Um, so even sometimes when you have, you know, absolute evidence that, you know, what counsel is doing is, you know, completely inappropriate. Um, they don't do anything about it. So you have to turn on screen sharing for me. Okay. Okay. Share screen. Got it. I hit it. Is it doing it? It still says disabled screen sharing. Go for it again. Oh, why is it not doing that? Um, share computer sound. Huh. Man. Maybe you can't do it. I Yeah, I don't know if I can. I don't know if it'll let me. Okay. So mm. I've got, I, I've literally got a photograph of, um, of opposing counsel in her, in the, in the courtroom. And, um, you know, this photograph has now, you know, it, I've, you know, it's basically everywhere because um, it's so outrageous. And it's completely inappropriate. I just pumped it out of my printer. So I'm just gonna hold it up for you here. This is opposing counsel in the courtroom. Literally. Oh. She's flipping me off in the courtroom. Literally. She's holding up a yellow pad like this. Mm-hmm. Holding up a yellow pad like this in the courtroom before the judge walks in to the courtroom. Well, 
I gave that to the bar associate. That is completely unethical. Completely mm -hmm. unethical. <laughs> All right. Oh my gosh. So I gave that to the bar association. I put that in front of in front of our judge. Right. I, I'm saying, you know, this is the this is the level of behavior that I'm seeing from opposing counsel. Completely ignored. I mean, if that's not uh. if that's not evidence of that there's a real serious problem. I don't know what is. Exactly. Exactly. I apparently it's never unethical enough. When you get the letter back, it's like, well, it's still not considered unethical behavior. I was like, okay. Um. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I, sometimes I've been like, well, what do they got to do? <laughs> I mean, right. You know, <laughs> what? You know, at what point do at what point do they say you know this behavior is you know not appropriate? Mm -hmm. I, I I don't I don't understand. I I really don't understand. Mm -mm. So, so yeah. So that's that's me. That's where I'm at. That's where my story. I mean, um, I've had a little bit of progress in my case. Um, our our judge, who I believe was incompetent, um, recused herself for bias uh, mm -hmm. last week. Good. Which is, which is a, a major, it's a huge deal, um, which I don't think opposing counsel was expecting at all because she'd really been depending upon the fact that we had um, an incompetent, brand new uh, family law judge and that she would just basically rubber stamp anything that she would put in front of her. Mm -hmm. So hopefully now the, hopefully what'll happen is, is that, you know, my case will wind up in front of an experienced family law judge and that, um, you know, hopefully some of these mistakes can start to be corrected and hopefully I'll be able to see my son, you know, mm -hmm. two and a half years is, is, is outrageous. Mm -hmm. so. It is. I'm so sorry you're going through this. And, you know, I'd like to have you on as a guest again, if you'd like to come back on. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That'd be great. That'd be great. So. Yeah. Yeah. There, um, go ahead. Is there anything else you'd like to, Ad or any advice for anyone? Yeah, I actually do. So, you know, I've got a website on ethicalkarma.com. You can go there. Uh, you can, uh, I've got some pages on how to teach people on how to, they can research their opposing counsel, how to research the background of their judge, uh, you know, how to access, you know, to access all of the state's ethical bar or all of the state's uh, ethical rules. So you can, you can go, you can download them. You can uh, learn them just as well as a lawyer can, uh, and then how to write uh, bar complaints that um, get action. Again, the, the measure of that is whether the bar association will conduct an investigation, not whether ultimately they, can, they get disciplined, but just act, you know, a, an effective bar complaint um, that a bar association will take seriously. Um, you know, and this year I'm uh, going to be a contributing author in a book that's coming out called The War on Dads. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I would encourage people that they should get out and they should um, they should uh, try and get their voice heard. I mean, I try and tell people that there, you know, there's a lot of things that anyone can do. Um, you, you know, you, you may or may not be able to launch a podcast or write a book or whatever. Um, but you know, you can get out with your cardboard sign and you can protest on parental alienation day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this year I'll be, 
uh, yeah, standing in front of the King County Superior Court with a nine foot tall inflatable Santa holding a sign that says parental alienation is child abuse. Mm -hmm. It sure is excellent. Excellent. Right? I'll be there. I'll be there at 9 a.m. So if you happen to be in Seattle, come on down. Oh, I wish I was there. Bring your inflatable Easter bunny. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. know, so, uh, but, you know, literally, you, you know, it, it, even if it's as innocuous as that, even if it is is it just a matter of taking a few hours off from work, you know, about talking to your legislatures, about, about talking to your elected representatives about shared parenting. Um, you know, shared parenting is an issue that cuts across all, all demographics. Doesn't matter if you're liberal, conservative, white, black, green, polka dot, doesn't matter. Um, you know, we're all parents and, mm -hmm. and, you know, they all, they all care about these things. And, you know, you want to, you want to get people passionately, you know, charged up about something really quickly, start talking about, about shared parenting, and you will find an enormous amount of people who agree with you. So there's, you know, lots of things that one can do. And, and um, the only way this is going to change is to, you know, um, get out there and have your voice be heard and put the pressure on it. So. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> right. Right. Mm -hmm. I, instead of, instead of helping people, you know, as a nurse, you know, mm -hmm. this isn't, this isn't what you, you know, wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Right. It's amazing. You know? Yeah, this isn't this isn't what I wanted to do. You know, I was living a lot, you know, you know, pretty quiet life, you mm. know, happy to live that quiet life. And, you know, and now here I am. <laughs> oh, so, man. Yeah. Well, hopefully and, things get better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have a little bit of hope that they will get better. So, you know, mm -hmm. I hope they get better for you, too. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. So. Well, I definitely will have you back on. So, um don't jump off okay slam slam the gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms that in turn perpetuate parental alienation i am your host marianne petrie author of dismantling family court corruption why taking the kids was not enough and cry out for justice poems of truth please join us again here in the future with attorney sean and other exciting guests thank you so much attorney cole meyer thank you all right thank you bye-bye <laughs>